Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com presents The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. Father Wick is the Jesuit priest of the central and southern province of the United States. He currently acts as a retreat master at the White House Jesuit Retreat Center in St. Louis, Missouri. He also serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Anthony, thank you so much for joining me once again. You're welcome, Chris. We are finding ourselves exploring the second week of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's a really special, I, I, it's hard to say that it's special because everything is special in the exercises, but this is a really unique week, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a week where it's a pivotal week for St. Ignatius and out of the four weeks, probably the longest that he figures for those who are making the spiritual exercises. It's the most involved week of the spiritual exercises with a double objective. So to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. St. Ignatius will invite us into that getting to know Jesus, to love, and to follow him, surrender ourselves to him. And then more specifically, the second objective is to know Jesus's particular call for me, for each person who's entering into the spiritual exercises. So the election, the choice of a state of life, is critical to the understanding of the spiritual exercises. It helps us elect what God has elected for us, to receive what God has proffered to us as a gift, to enter into greater intimate union with him. St. Ignatius, he, in the second week, leads us first with an overview of how to read the Gospels. This call of the king is the way in which he does so. So God is a very active God. Jesus reaches out to men and women, and he calls to every person, to all men and women, and to each person in particular, he says. There's a summons to become close with him, to walk with him, to experience intimacy in the labor. And he does all this. There's an invitation five times over. Conmigo is the Spanish for this, with me, huh? to, to walk with me, to labor with me, to suffer with me, so as to rejoice with me. So this is the invitation of closeness. St. Ignatius, as I say, is, is a very, Jesus for him is very active and choosing. I'd like to compare or contrast in this case with St. Dominic. So St. Dominic, we know, would walk around with the Gospel of St. Matthew under his arm. I don't know if you've ever heard that story, Chris. 
And it is said that reputedly he had the whole Gospel of Matthew memorized. Why the Gospel of Matthew for St. Dominic? Well, he loved the preaching Jesus. And in there we have the preaching, teaching Jesus, the long version of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this was the Jesus that he most wanted to imitate, this, this preaching, teaching Jesus, hence the foundation of the order of preachers. Very unlike St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius, for his part, what book did he carry under his arm? It was The Imitation of Christ, which at the time was thought to be written by uh, Chancellor Gerson, G-E-R-S-O-N. So he called it my little Gersoncito, which is the diminutive form in Spanish of the affective, like my little Gerson, my little... We know now that it's Thomas Akimpus who wrote that, but you can see where for him that was the key to understanding this life with Christ, the imitation of Christ. So that was the book that he just read over and over again, never tired of reading and forming himself in. And so in the second week, he makes the recommendation, the only books that he recommends throughout the spiritual exercises to read when one is making this retreat, this experience of the spiritual exercises, is the Bible and the imitation of Christ. He also allows for the saints, so lives of the saints. And as we remember from his own conversion, that's a book that Ludolf of Saxony's Lives of the Saints, the Golden Legend, and all these different stories of saints. I have that actually here, and it's a very thick book. So two versions, two volumes even. Be that as it may, St. Ignatius wants us to enter into this intimate companionship with Christ. He's inviting us into his own experience. This is the call of the king to enter into his experience. He's going to be our lead. He's going to walk with us. And thus... Very much like the Paschal Mystery, Chris, until we go through the experience of the suffering with Jesus, you have to go through darkness and through death to come to life. All of our Christian journey is through death to life. We have to die. I have to die to myself. I have to go through my Red Sea. I have to die in baptism. I have to continually die to my way of doing things to, with Jesus, to receive his way of acting, his way of responding. And that's the imitation of the second week. It's St. Ignatius proposes for us. It's an intimate experience of going down through the Red Sea, if you will, going down through the suffering and death to self so as to experience Christ's life. I think that would be a good summary of the trajectory of the second week. That experience of self-examination, especially one that is offered in the imitation of Christ, but also in that comparison to the lives of the saints. I mean, it really is a time for us to become, I, I guess I could say that that experience of self-knowledge, isn't it? Yes, yes. Self-knowledge, you could say knowledge of self. It's the first step of the spiritual life. Know thyself. The Greeks, three centuries before Christ, had over the temple of Delphi, know thyself. That's critical. Knowing thyself, knowing my strengths, knowing my weaknesses, this was done in the first week, first week of the spiritual exercises, knowing my, my strengths and weaknesses, the, my proclivities, and inviting the Lord to help me let go of all those inordinate attachments we spoke of. That is absolutely critical to beginning this life of freedom, freedom to follow, freedom to be, as he says, as we request, to be prompt and diligent to follow his most holy will as Jesus manifests his most holy will to us to be prompt and diligent. That's what we're asking for, the grace we're asking for. Diligent, that comes from the Latin word eligere, which means to love or to respect, esteem, to love. It literally, it means to be chosen apart, 
So to be prompt and diligent to respond to the Lord's will, that means I have to be free. I can't be stuck in the mud. I can't be holding on to my way of doing things and ask the Lord to come to my way of doing things where I put myself in the center. I need that Copernican revolution we spoke of earlier where Jesus is my center. I'm learning how to choose what desires for me. I'm learning how to receive his most intimate of desires. And Chris, if you and I are going to hear what the Lord desires for us, we have to first let go of the things we desire. My way of doing things, my vision of what my life should be, what my ministry should be, what my relationship should be. I need to let go of all that and receive what's on the Lord's heart. And that's the the majus. That's the greater service of the Lord. And it's an invitation to ever deeper freedom. It's freedom in the Lord, freedom to serve, freedom to love. And this is the trajectory that St. Ignatius is helping us to lose ourselves and thus, of course, find ourselves. But we find ourselves in intimate relationship with the Lord. I just, I'm always struck, though, by how, how much the Lord labors with us, how much God, he wants to walk with me in these struggles of mine. He wants to, to walk with me in the struggles of my ministry, in the failures of my ministry, in the struggles in relationships I may have, in the not knowing. He's walking with me. He's leading me through these these difficult times. If I'm ever going through some sadness or a loss of a beloved person, the Lord wants to walk with me in this. And so I need to cleave to him and walk carefully with him as he takes me through these sufferings, through that death to self, if you will, to resurrected life, which is life in him and him alone. I can only imagine that, you know, as you're entering into this second week, Again, not only reflecting on what he will bring us in the exercises, but that he encourages that time you may have to redirect yourself into looking at the communion of saints. Sometimes it can be they're like cheerleaders, and for some it may almost kind of be discouraging in some ways to say that we could never measure up to them. Yes, it would be a a misperception of comparing myself to a particular saint and how far I am from their response. And we forget how much this is in an inspired response. So the Lord wants to inspire us with his love. So uh, like pour into me the flame of his love so that I respond generously. But that's a gift. And so the saints, uh, most hagiographies, the studies of the saints, they only emphasize the last part of their lives and how they seem to almost walk on water. And we forget all the conversion experiences they had to go through, or maybe it's sometimes it's not even narrated well, all that they were struggling with, all the inordinate attachments they struggled with, but that the Lord helped liberate them from. So I I think that's key. And as a matter of fact, that dovetails nicely into the very end of the call of the king meditation. St. Ignatius invites us to ponder someone who responds generously to it's a prayer response to Jesus's invitation to walk with them in the suffering, walk with him in the suffering so as to experience resurrection within the glory. So in other words, he wants to conquer all souls, we said earlier, to his heart. He wants everyone to find themselves holistically as they're always been called to be in his heart. He wants them to find themselves in him. And so he wants our involvement in that. So he says that those who want to be more devoted and signalize themselves in the service of their king, eternal and universal Lord, namely Jesus, not only will offer their persons to the labor, but even acting against their own sensuality and against their carnal and worldly love, 
they will make offers of greater value and of greater importance. Notice the, er, yeah, the, the comparative again, the greater value, greater importance. So this is an inspired prayer that we're just listening to. Okay, we're listening to the the prayer of a saintly person responding to this love of God. So that the flame of love is poured into them. And how do they respond? St. Ignatius even imagines them saying this, and he puts words in their mouth. Eternal Lord of all things, I make my oblation with thy favor and help in the presence of thy infinite goodness and in the presence of thy glorious mother and of all the saints of the heavenly court that I want and desire, and it is my deliberate determination, if only it be to thy greater service and praise, to imitate thee in bearing all injuries and all abuse and all poverty of spirit and actual poverty too. If thy most holy majesty wants to choose and receive me to such life and state. So there's the prayer. There's the prayer of a generous soul inspired by the Lord to want to give everything in response to what the Lord is asking. So in the earthly king, he says, consider the answer of what all good subjects ought to be to a king so generous and noble-minded. And then again, so this is using the will here, for the eternal king, consider how all persons who possess good judgment and reason will offer themselves entirely for this work. And so he allows that imagination of, of this person who wants to work against even their carnal desires. And so this is really based on his understanding of uh, Thomas Aquinas too, where St. Thomas Aquinas says that a, a man's soul, this is a quote from him, is so much more the perfectly drawn to God as it is detached from affection to temporal things. I'll say it again. A man's soul is so much the more perfectly drawn to God as it is more detached from affection to temporal things. So we grow in the spiritual life in proportion to our detachment from self. That's really critical. And so this is an invitation for you and me to detach from the common things that we cling to. And we listen to this call of certain people who are inspired to want to live exactly what Christ lived. That's what the religious life is, really. You're living the actual poverty. You're living the same kind of life you live. We need to be inspired by that. That should be something that we find very attractive. Most of us will not be called to the religious life, but we need to understand and appreciate what a gift it would be to be called. So we ponder this person who wants to give everything. And, and if it be to the Lord's greater service and praise, so it's always up to the Lord. He chooses us for whatever path, married life, religious life, whatever vowed life he's calling us to, but it's all according to his greater service and praise. So we're listening. It's always a listening response. It's not, I'm finding in myself some natural generosity. It's not, I propose and then God disposes. You know, I, I propose what I'd like to do with my life and see if God is going to sign off on that. No, it's a received gift to imitate the Lord in my particular state and way of life. But we do this in front of, he says, in in front of the presence of God, with the, his glorious mother, all the saints of the heavenly court, St. Ignatius loved to ponder himself before the heavenly court. So I think that's this call is objectively considered for Ignatius. It's listened to, it's made by the retreatant, but we're not yet at a time of choice. The retreatant is not yet. This is the beginning of the second week. Towards the end, we'll start making a personal choice, but we really need to consider what a gift it would be to be called to the same way and state of life 
bearing even living actual poverty without a bank account, those kind of things. But we do want to bear all injuries with Jesus too. So he's going to suffer with us in the battlefield, we learned, and he's going to be misunderstood. He'll be considered a glutton and a drunkard. Do you and I want to ever be misunderstood? Jesus says, uh, no servant is greater than the master. If, if I've been treated poorly, you will be too. And so can I embrace that though for love of Jesus? Can I rejoice as we read, as we, as he speaks about in the Beatitudes, in the last Beatitudes, rejoice in my being misunderstood with Jesus. So that's, that's the invitation. It's an invitation to deep intimacy in the suffering and thus in the joys. And I think the Blessed Mother is probably a perfect model of that. She lives this fidelity in marriage, living the married life. And then upon the death of her husband, she moves towards founding with Jesus religious life. And so she becomes a, a faithful disciple and follower of Jesus, but carrying with him, bearing all the injuries and poverty of spirit and actual poverty too of Jesus. So perhaps she's the one we ought to ask for her intercession and to ask her to help open us up to that grace of the Holy Spirit to respond generously, prodigally with the Lord for what we might be called to. I think that could be a proper way to approach this meditation and this understanding of Scripture is, is let that response be inspired from above. Let the Holy Spirit inspire me towards the Majis, towards the greater service and praise of God. The key being, of course, that I'm in love with God. And I just want to please God. I want to praise God. I want to serve God. That's my greatest joy and my greatest desire. That means if I could honestly say that, Chris, I've no longer put myself at the center. I'm living the Copernican revolution. The Son of God really is the center of my life around whom I revolve and around whom I orbit. We'll return to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises with Father Anthony Wick in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
we now return to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. Well, Father Anthony, I think we have so much to ruminate on, or as some would say, chew on, as we really begin to contemplate, to ponder, using a Marian phrase, to ponder in our hearts, where should we rest right now as we've just, you know, everything that you've provided us, what St. Ignatius is leading us into resources, where, where should we leave ourselves right now? So, yes, that's an excellent question, Chris. I believe it'd be important now to enter into the next fundament of the spiritual exercises. In other words, how does this concretely play out in our life? How do we make concrete ethical decision-making? And St. Ignatius will lead us into a particular meditation called the two standards. And the two standards, a standard is a flag, a flag in battle, around which the troops rally. When you're in hand-to-hand skirmish, you need to know which you fight better together than separated. Uh, Divided we would fall. And so the standard is the flag that it provides orientation for our people who are with the Lord and who are following the Lord. So Jesus has a standard. St. Ignatius is going to flesh out for us that he knows that there is another standard of the world that Satan carries. And so the decision to radically follow Christ the King, it, it doesn't simply reduce to a wave of generosity that envelops or overwhelms my soul. It, there's, there's a lot of concrete decision-making that's going to go on with this. So, so it is in every life of the Christian. And there's another attractive person who vies for my attention, for my, my fidelity, for my fealty. And that creature of God is named Satan. His name means adversary. He's the true adversary of our true God, always offering us a fool's gold, if you will, but a very attractive one at that. And the fool's gold, of course, is one that avoids suffering and pain. Whereas in the the call of the king, we see that Jesus invites us to suffer with him. It's never suffering alone. The pain is never done by ourselves. It's always with Jesus. But Satan invites us instead to a different plan where I can avoid suffering. I can avoid pain. He promises control over the world around us and over other persons too. So just as Adam and Eve, through the fall, they they yearn to get the upper hand over each other, it says. Um, Eve yearned for Adam, and Adam tried to control Eve. And so the the disorder, what used to be so well-ordered to serving each other in freedom, becomes this desire to control the other. And so... That temptation to be as gods is has never changed, frankly. It's amazing that Adam and Eve fell for that. You shall be as gods with the lie that he offered them. And yet you and I fall for that same temptation to try to be as God, uh, to play a God here in my life. It's my life. I get to choose what I want. To. And we train even our kids and grandkids in that kind of notion of what do you want to be when you grow up? That's not a good question. It should be more, how can you serve the Lord when you grow up? You know, so they're thinking outside of themselves. That would be good training for a child to really think about how they can at least best serve others so that they'll find themselves in service. So St. Ignatius shows us this. There's a titanic struggle here for our souls. St. Augustine depicted that same titanic struggle around the year 400 between good and evil, between God and Satan, 
light and darkness in his classic treatise, you may remember, The City of God. So what we add to this conception is that the, the second person of the Blessed Trinity came down to earth to himself take on that struggle. He didn't disdain to be acquainted with temptation, we read in the book of Hebrews, to put himself in the position of Adam again, a position where both his father and the devil were both visible to him. He allowed himself to be led out into the desert after his baptism by the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To be tempted. But then we know that he chose the Father strongly, rightly, out of eternal love, whereas Satan tried three ways to lead him into darkness and to think about himself. He kept choosing the Father, choosing the other, the other, the other. Satan, there's a mantra there. Satan saying, you know, what about you? What about you? What about you? And Jesus' response is, no, the Father, the Father, the Father. He's keeping his focus where it ought to be and conquer Satan by that focus on the other and not on the self. So that's a, a critical point. He's, he's led out of the desert. We're called to follow his example. If you will, the, the wood of the tree that Adam and Eve, this is some of the church fathers' insight, that they reached out for that tree of knowledge of good and evil and died from there was promised that they would die if they if they even touched it and so this now becomes the tree of our salvation which is a, a cross freely chosen by jesus the new adam mary being the new eve and so you and i are invited into this decision making process though to learn from jesus how to choose god over self god over satan god over the devil so jesus wants to help us walk this path. So Ignatius will will flesh out this in the two standards, the consequences of following Jesus and rejecting Satan. So first, he says that um, we have to recognize that Satan is a liar and an accuser who tempts us with partial truths to which we sometimes easily succumb. And we know that we wouldn't choose any evil Chris, unless there's some good there, even if it's an apparent good, nobody chooses evil for its own sake, but the apparent good allows us to bite off on things we should not be doing, something we shouldn't be choosing. So they'll always propose something initially attractive to us, otherwise we wouldn't actually find it tempting. So he wants us under his flag, his standard, to rally his troops, and so we have to decide whose side we're on. And so Jesus has his flag. Satan has his flag, and thus there are two flags. Dos banderas, as St. Ignatius will say, the two flags. Father, I think this is such an important understanding for all of us. And we kind of, as you might have experienced talking with others, that then this particular culture we find ourselves in identifying with a being that is an enemy, such as the devil, as maybe a struggle because we all want to embrace all the good things all the we the images of holy angels and and holy guardians and things like that but there are those who will say that there really doesn't exist this actual creation that uh, wants to harm us in some way jesus speaks very much about the angels there's their presence is throughout scripture many angels fell from grace by some act of disobedience, some act of lack of trust in God. And so that we're tempted, the Catechism speaks very much about how these spirits 
tempt us to, to lose our trust in God. And when Adam and Eve fell, it says trust. The Catechism tells us that trust in their creator died in their hearts. So uh, definitely there are there's a whole realm. God is so prolific in his creation, a whole realm of these uh, spiritual creatures that are pure spirits that make a decision for life that are initially, you could say, superior creatures to the human being before God becomes flesh, so much superior. And there's no doubt that, that we are tempted by forces outside of ourselves. We could have, let's see, Ignatius says there's three origin of all of our thoughts, whether it's my own thought, I can have my own thought, but I can also have a thought that's, that's inspired by the good spirits, that would be the Holy Spirit or any good angel, or the evil spirit, uh, Satan or any, any demon, any fallen angel. But uh, the key here is that even angels are creatures, and so with God's help, we don't have to freak out or worry about angels or the power of the demonic in my life. We can walk boldly into difficult situations with Christ and know that he will crush, as Mary gives the witness of, will crush all these, the power of evil, and the power of evil doesn't compare to the power of good. There's not, a, we don't have a Manichaean view of these are equally battling powers, and we're not sure how it's going to end up in the end. No, the power of good, the power of God is infinitely greater, infinitely greater than his creatures. Satan's nothing but a creature. He's a fallen angel. Evidence of his work is, is in our lives. It's throughout scripture. We'd be foolish to deny it. So there's there's more than just my own personal decisions. There's, a, there's inspiration. So sometimes people will say, I feel inspired to do this or that. And my inner question is, okay, I bet you are inspired, but by which spirit though? So we have to discern which spirit may be motivating me. I want to do this today. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to start this new club. You know, here's my resolution for this, that, or the other. So we have to be, be careful and discern which spirits, learn how to discern which spirits we're responding to. What's the source of these spirits? How can I tell which spirits is actually inspiring me here? I think that's a really important, and I think the emphasis that God is so much bigger. Uh, there was a phrase in, in a children's video my kids used to watch, that God is bigger than the boogeyman. And with that we have to remember that. And that, you know, there is this, this great mystery that I, I think I'm, I have to give credit to Thomas Aquinas in the way that he said that if God didn't love even the fallen angels, they wouldn't exist. So their existence, it's kind of a mystery, but then... Catherine of Siena was told in the dialogues by the Father that I don't allow temptation to make you weak. I allow it to make you strong. And I think that goes down to those choices that we're able to make. Are we going to continue to gaze at that evil, or are we going to turn towards a light that shines from the crucifix? That's right. Do we choose a partial good? Because even Satan, or as you say, uh, demons, insofar as they're created, have some goodness, but that's why they always tempt us under the rubric of good too, the apparent good. Or are we going to choose a deeper good, a, a good throughout? Huh? Do I want to live a selfish life because it'll feel well, it'll feel good to me to manipulate people or to use the internet or other things as I wish? Or will I choose instead to, to go deeper and choose the whole good huh? that's good to the core? Am I going to eat if you will, for my soul, am I going to consume healthy food or unhealthy food? That healthy food feels good initially, uh, but it has its effect. It has its consequence. And that's that's how we determine whether 
the good spirit or the evil spirit, Ignatius, you know, in his convalescence was recognizing that the consequence made the difference. We choose like out of the two foods, if I eat healthy food or unhealthy food, both of those bring a reward that I can enjoy that. And I would choose one of those two paths, but then they have a consequence. And that's where you can determine whether there's some selfishness in that, whether it's actually healthy for the soul or not, or in this case, healthy for the body as I'm using food, but you could use that in terms of spiritual food too. Like if I get involved in certain types of manipulation of spiritual reality, there are all kinds of options for that in the world today. What is the consequence of that? And where does that lead? That'll give me a clue for St. Ignatius when he was trying to win the hand of that woman, which is a good thing for a man to do. He could tell not by the reward, but by the consequence after that, uh oh, the wrong spirit got in there. There's a little bit of me behind this. This is about me proving myself. This is about me being manly, feeling good about myself. Whereas for him, the imitation of Francis and Dominic was truly selfless. And as well, you know, Chris, uh, marriage is also meant to be selfless. It's entering into the sacrifice. I was listening to a wonderful presentation yesterday about the preparation for marriage as set up by the Lord is the the time of Lent. So it's about the total sacrifice of Jesus for his church, the total sacrifice. That's the time of engagement. That's the time of, of him wooing his bride to himself. It's through that suffering. And so you could probably speak volumes on this, but but like marriage is an invitation to totally give of myself. And then I've, I've got myself properly ordered. I'm not looking for my own happiness. I'm looking for my spouse's happiness. I'm looking to serve. My spouse is looking to serve. And therein, therein we find joy and fruitfulness. But that's a paradigm shift of my focus. So Jesus woos that church to himself and espouses her to himself through that radical, even bloody self-gift. We'll continue our conversation in our next episode. You've been listening to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. This episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for... The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick.